Welcome back to True Crime Trine, the podcast where the planets align and three friends talk about true crime, astrology, and any other weird bullshit we can fit into this podcast. I am your host, Hannah, joined by Sarah and Meredith. Welcome back for episode three. I think this is Meredith's turn to tell us a story. Maybe we should just yeah, jump right it. in. So the story that I have for you guys today is the Vancouver Child Killer, otherwise known as Wesley Allen Dodd. Otherwise known as a major bummer. Yeah, it really is. Before I begin, I just want to preface this by saying that any case involving crimes against children can be very hard to talk about and even more difficult to listen to. So with this in mind, I have opted to give a more basic overview of the crimes as opposed to going into the the really graphic details of the crimes. I would say thank you for that. The reason I chose this case is actually because my mom had an altercation with Wesley Allen Dodd, but you will hear more about that a little later. I'd also like to preface for one second because when Meredith reached out to me about starting this podcast and we talked on the phone, the very first we asked what our hard limits are on the podcast, she's like, I don't like murders involving children. And the first murder she's bringing to the podcast is the Vancouver child killer. Oh so. my goodness. <laughs> I know, my bad. Get get out the ugly up front and then you have things that are easier to, to think about or deal with or discuss after that. It's kind of like eating your steamed spinach first so you don't have to taste it anymore. Yeah, no, this is going to be nice. As I was researching this, I'm like, ugh, gross. It's so bad. But I really wanted to tell this story because of my mom's interaction with him. So I thought that would be a good, you know, a personal take on some of this. So I like that a lot because it seems like all of us are kind of starting with some personal stories. And we'll, we will branch out. I will leave Fresno eventually. Yeah, things that have direct direct contact kind of <laughs> so dad was born july 3rd 1961 so he is a cancer so emotional he was born in toppenish washington which is just southeast of yakima and he was born to jim and carol dodd he was the eldest of three children and he grew up in richland washington which is near the tri-cities dodd initially claimed that he did not experience any abuse or neglect as a child but stated that he did not have a loving or affectionate upbringing. However, he Mm. later contradicted this, as reported by the Seattle Times, in his diary, which he said that his father was, in fact, emotionally and physically abusive, and that he was neglected in favor of his younger siblings, Gregory and Kathy. Dodd confirmed that he never experienced any form of sexual abuse in his childhood, which is fairly uncommon for a predator like him. I would say, though, kind of just withholding love, even if it's not really on purpose, to a child, then they don't grow up knowing what to do with it. Yeah, they don't have any sense of normalcy of what that sort of relationship's supposed to be like. And then also, I feel like that's relatively common for like the eldest child, especially in that era, to kind of be like, okay, you're the oldest, you have to take care of your siblings now, and you're not going to get, you know, the same kind of treatment because we're expecting more of you kind of thing. As the oldest? Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't take care of my brother, though. My parents were just like, 
you're nine. You like to read. Figure it out. And I was like, I can. (laughs) (laughs) So now I'm going to talk about the harder part. And this is kind of an overview of his sexual offenses before we get to the murders. So Dodd's perversion started at a relatively young age, and it was said to kind of start around nine. So I'm guessing like that, you know, pre-pubescent kind of time. But his offenses didn't really start until he was about 13 years old. So he would stand in the upstairs window of his house and expose himself to the neighborhood children. Oh, it's like, I know where this is going and I don't like it. Or he would ride his bicycle around the neighborhood looking for an opportunity to expose himself to the neighborhood children. Yikes. That, I guess, Sue, were younger than him or just anyone? My guess is that it would be anyone as I kind of go through some of this other stuff. This is such a weird cry for attention. And did he have a male-female preference? So to begin, no. Then he started leaning towards the male preference. Okay. His father, Jim Dodd, later told an interviewer that he was well aware of Wesley's behavior, but he ignored it because he felt like his son was, quote, well-behaved, who never had problems with drugs, drinking, or smoking, end quote. Father of the year. So somehow drugs, drinking, and smoking are really big deals, but showing your wiener around town is not a big deal, I guess. Which doesn't make me immediately think that this child is well-behaved. Or what his sense of normalcy was. Exactly. (laughs) And I also think, too, that kind of in this era, maybe there wasn't a lot of involvement from his parents. Oh, yeah, because you already said he was kind of neglected in favor of his younger siblings. Maybe his parents already gave up on him. It almost kind of feels like that. So in 1976, when he was around the age of 15, his parents divorced. And around this time is when he began to expand on his sexual deviance. And he started to molest his younger cousins and children that he babysat for. Oh, He was arrested for exposing himself to two neighborhood girls, but was released with only the recommendation of counseling. This was like the 70s? So this is the late 70s, early 80s. Yeah. Okay. Between 1979 and 1980, so he's like 18, 19, he worked at a Christian music camp. Oh, dear. There isn't much information about this time but one could surmise that nothing good happened does it say what camp it doesn't okay in 1981 when dodd was about 20 years old he was arrested for the attempted abduction of two girls but no action was taken by police and this kind of becomes a common occurrence is that he's not really held accountable for his actions. Again, in 1981, he enlisted in the Navy and Dodd went to basic training in San Diego, California, and he did graduate in the top 10% of his class. Due to his high entry test scores, he was put on submarine duty. That sounds like a punishment. Yeah. I was thinking it was because his test scores were so good. I would not, well, as a tall person, I would not want to go on a submarine. Also, it's a person that doesn't like... Yeah. Uh, we're not supposed to go that deep in the ocean is what I have to say. <laughs> and we're really not supposed to fly either. I have problems with both of those. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Noted. 
So he was stationed at the naval base in Bangor, Washington, where he served aboard the USS Thomas Edison, which is a ballistic missile submarine. During his service time, he was arrested for an attempted molestation, but was released and then was also rearrested for exposing himself a few days later. During that time, Dodd spent 19 days in jail and was ordered to go to counseling, but that was pretty much it for his punishment. Have they not seen that he has been doing this and like, it's not the first time, like he needs more, he needs a little bit more punishment keep him from doing this again. I guess it wasn't super documented if no one was pressing charges, but the Navy was like, yeah, sure, fine. We'll keep this molester if he goes to counseling. I think in this instance, it was outside on his off-duty times because when they did, and I'll get to that in just a second, when kind of became aware, then they were like, oh, we've, we've got a problem here. It is approximated that he molested around 14 children during his time in the Navy, but like you said, most of the cases were not reported. And again, this is the early 1980s, so I'm guessing that people just didn't report this type of crime. Or even come forward about it. Yeah, I mean, I think there was just a lot of embarrassment about crimes of a sexual nature, so uh, people weren't really wanting to kind of go on record with it. In May of 1982, in Seattle, Washington, while he was on leave, he was arrested for offering four young boys money to play strip poker with him in a hotel room. Ew, ew. Oh, wow. What? (laughs) Boys, no. Yeah. That's, oh. He was taken to jail but was released and the charges were dropped. Stop it. Stop dropping them. (laughs) So also in 1982, he was discharged from the Navy after he was arrested for attempting indecent liberties on a boy. It didn't specify who the boy was, but I read a couple different articles and it looks like it was one of his superior officer's children. And that's kind of when they became aware of his problems and he was discharged. It's starting to sound like a compulsion because you can't even like, I don't want to separate work from home, but like, you know, like if you didn't want to get caught, you would probably not you know, go after your superior's child. That's insane. Yeah. Exactly. It gets worse. In 1983, Dodd moved to Lewiston, Idaho. And in 1984, when he was about 23 years old, he was arrested for the molestation of a 10-year-old boy. So in this instance, Lewiston, Idaho, they were on their game and he actually was arrested and he was sentenced to 10 years. However, that sentence was commuted to one year and he served four months before being released. That's why we always say we're not legal scholars because we don't understand how this happens. It's a child and it's four months. People are in jail for much longer for marijuana. I'm not going to get on that pedestal, but... Exactly. Fuck off, Lewiston. Wait, so I have a question, and this is... I mean, I feel like as a seasoned Law & Order watcher, I feel like I should definitely know this, but if charges are dropped, does that mean that they're they're not expunged from the record? I wonder if it depends how far it goes. Because I feel like these people should have definitely recognized, okay, not his first 
Nora is second, nor third at this point, and we're going to let him out after this much time. Like, that just seems so deeply wrong. If you don't even file the police report and, like, submit the police report as, like, the first step, then there wouldn't be any documentation. I think in some of these cases, too, like, the kids, after talking with their parents, didn't want to pursue any sort of charges, so there really isn't anything law enforcement can do at that time Mm -hmm. if they're not willing to move forward with it. And I think that too was like the parents trying to protect their children at the expense of other children, but it's hard to really judge that. You want to protect your own child for sure. Yeah. The fact that it was previously documented, like did they shred those papers or is it still in a police report somewhere? It's just the charges weren't gone after. Like, you know what I mean? If they, it seems like there's, there's there should be a paper trail of his prior activity on this level. One would think. Yeah. I guess it was before we went digital. Oh, that's, yeah, that's a whole other thing. This is the early 80s, so I'm sure that there's records of it, but again, they probably weren't computerized. They're not talking to each other. Well, you don't even know who to ask, to be honest, I feel like, too. No, you, you can't just call around and be like, hey, did this dude live by you? Did he do anything? I mean, you know, yeah. I mean, there's only so much time or effort that they can spend on these types of cases. But I think a little bit more due diligence on somebody's part, because he has a clear history of really, really bad behavior. Truly. It just didn't come to light until way later. And it gets worse, unfortunately. Yay! I say not really yay. I know. So again, sorry about this. We're just going to apologize like at least 20 times each podcast we do. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry. (laughs) I think from now on, I I will avoid, like I said, I initially wanted to avoid these types of cases. And I'm fairly certain I will because it just gets skeevier and skeevier the more it goes on. To continue, in early 1986, he moved from Lewiston, Idaho to Kennewick, Washington, which is also in the Tri-Cities, where he molested a four-year-old boy. Oh, that's so young. And in the fall of 1986, he moved back to Seattle, Washington, where he molested a two-year-old boy. Nope. Oh my god. This is going to be a terrible question. Go for it. Do you think the two-year-old has memories of it? I would say from my experience as a parent, it's unlikely. But it probably does cause something and the child doesn't exactly know why. Yeah, those are formative years. Because I can't remember shit until I was like eight years old, but... I mean, I have memories of like around four-ish, but like two, you're definitely still, and I'm not, you know, like an expert on this either, but like you're, you're definitely making connections of how people are supposed to interact with you and how socialization happens. So that's, God, that's awful. Like, I don't necessarily believe in repressed memories, but this almost feels like a repressed memory just because they were so young that a memory didn't quite form. Correct. But the impact of that memory is still there. Definitely. Yeah, I think that these children are impacted at the young age. I just don't know if they would be able to recall the actual events. Even with my daughter, like she remembers maybe starting back when she was three. So moving forward, in June of 1987, when Dodd was about 27 years old, and this was in Seattle, he was arrested for an attempted luring. Prosecutors had recommended jail time, and this is the prosecutors, but he only served 118 days in jail and was given one year probation. I'm going to say that's what they sent him to jail for was luring, not actually molesting. Like, 
Correct. Are you out of your... This, okay. is, this is sick. I know. So in late August of 1989, he moved down to Vancouver, Washington, which is closer to Oregon. And in the fall of 1989, Dodd began prowling David Douglas Park. And this is a heavily wooded park. It's approximately 88 acres. So there's lots of hiking trails and natural areas. And he was arrested multiple times for molestation, but only given minimal sentences and court-mandated therapy or counseling. And there is said to have been approximately 50 victims, ranging in ages from 2 to 12. And they were mostly boys. I'm on Sarah's side here. There is now a very serious paper trail. Yeah. And it's specific to Vancouver, Washington, too. Like, they don't have to look anywhere else. Exactly. Oh, dear. Now we get to the worst part which is the overview of the murders september 4th 1989 dodd lured 11-year-old and 10-year-old cole and william near to a secluded area of david douglas park he molested and stabbed them both repeatedly and then fled the scene the brothers were soon discovered in the park cole was pronounced dead at the scene and william died while en route to the hospital well i am kind of um curious about what why he escalated to murder all of a sudden i guess in my personal opinion it maybe he wasn't getting enough satisfaction out that's of that's true you got to get that rush it's like cocaine i've never had cocaine but i feel like you need more and more to get the same rush i'm also wondering well has he gone after two kids at the same time, so maybe he was having trouble controlling both of them and then lashed out when he lost control. Oh, yeah, two kids at a time. That's a really good thing to consider. I, it didn't really talk about why he opted for these. I'm guessing it was just there was an opportunity for it, mm-hmm. unfortunately. And if he took the opportunity and really fucking liked it, then he would keep doing it. Yeah. So after the murders of the Near Brothers, Dodd began a scrapbook of newspaper clippings about the boys' murders. Oh, no. And this kind of plays into, a little bit later in the story, just kind of his record-keeping and writing, if you will. Okay, at this point, he kind of sounds like a Capricorn. (laughs) I didn't check all of his moons and planets, but there might be some some Capricorn in there. As a record-keeper and a journaler. Yeah. Mine are all legal, though. On October 29th of 1989, Dodd went to Portland, Oregon, and Dodd abducted Lee Izzelli, who was four years old, from the Richmond School Playground, where Lee had been playing with his older brother, Justin. God, his older brother must have a lot of PTSD about this. Yeah, and from what I read about this, and again, I'm not going into the graphic details of any of this, but they had been playing together, and Justin decided to go to a different area of the park or head home or something, and basically left his younger brother unattended, and that's where Dodd was able to take advantage of of this young child. What ended up happening is that Dodd convinced Lee that he was going to give him a ride back to his house um, since his brother had left, and he did not take him back to his house. He took him back to his apartment across state lines in Vancouver. Oh, federal. Yes. Dodd repeatedly molested and raped Lee before killing him, and... Oh, poor baby. The worst part is that he kept him for more than 24 hours. Oh, bad. Oh, that's really 
fucking bad. Dodd later discarded Lee's body near Vancouver Lake, and he burned all of his belongings except for a pair of his underwear. And I would say discarded is probably the right term because he probably just thought of him as an object. I would say you were on point with that. Lee's body was discovered on November 1st of 1989, and the police were just kind of at a loss. They really didn't have any suspects. I do have a question about the race of the victims. Mostly Caucasian. Oh, interesting. Okay. Now, Dodd kind of would remove himself from the areas after his crimes, right? This need to do this was still brewing within him. So again, this this whole spree was very short. You know, it all happened between September and November of 1989. Yikes. So he's in his berserker mode at that point then because he found out he likes killing and then he just got, he just couldn't not do it. Exactly. So in November or on November 13th of 1989 in Camas, Washington, Dodd attempted to abduct six-year-old James Kirk II from a restroom at the New Liberty Theater. Thankfully, Dodd was captured and held by the boyfriend of Kirk's mother, whose name was William Ray Graves. I think he just went by Ray until the police arrived. Good, good. Good job, Ray. Exactly. The quick and heroic actions taken by Graves on that day not only saved James's life, but also ended what could have been a very long and very heinous crime spree. Oh, thank God. Because law enforcement had not connected Dodd to either of the murders. So he was arrested and he was questioned by both Washington and Oregon investigators. And he initially denied any involvement, but then it was almost like he got excited and he wanted to talk about it. So he did end up confessing to all three of the murders. Wow. No, just some of them like to talk. They want the recognition. Exactly. So at this point, they were able to issue search warrants on Dodd's apartment, and this produced an insane amount of evidence, including a homemade torture rack. Mm-mm-mm. I know. Oh. Newspaper clippings about the crimes... A briefcase which contained Lee Izelli's underwear, a photo album containing pictures, and then Dodd's diary, in which he wrote in very deep detail about all three of the murders. This is why I have been told not to keep a journal, but I also don't commit any crimes, so I'm okay. But You trust yourself not to be that sick. No, and it's just like... The compulsion to have to write it all down is also kind of interesting because it's evidence. Yeah. It is, yeah. And it's irrefutable evidence at that. So Dodd was charged with aggravated first-degree murder in the deaths of the Near Brothers and Lee Azeli, plus the attempted kidnapping of James Kirk II. On a TV series in 1992, uh, Monsters Among Us, Dodd remarked, quote, I think the state agencies should be held accountable for their incompetence. If you add up all the prison time I was given, but never made to serve, I'd be in prison till 2026. And these boys 
would still be alive. End quote. Wow. I mean, sure, but also you did murder them. Like he's not to blame. He's definitely to blame. <laughs> I feel like that's how he's trying to portray it is that, you know, if you'd done your job. Jeez. I will say I'm not super impressed with the job they did. Wesley Allen Dodd definitely murdered these boys. And there's, what an asshole. Yeah, that's just another level of sickness. I know. Yeah. Ugh. Again, I am not an expert in law or law enforcement, but it really does feel like like there was a miscarriage of justice here because there were so many opportunities for Dodd to be God he was he was prolific exactly and he just he was never held accountable for his crimes how how old was he when he was arrested he was i believe 28 so he has at least 10 years of consistent disgustingness almost 20 i'm not going to say the murder as a point i know a benefit is that he did confess and that, you know, he went to trial. You a trial then or do you just plead guilty and go to jail? You still have, like, your sentencing and, and stuff like that. He did end up having a trial. Okay. And I'll get into it just a little bit. But in the opening statement from the prosecutor, Arthur D. Curtis, he told the jury, quote, He planned child murders. He committed child murders. He relived and fantasized child murders with life in prison without the possibility of parole. Two of those things are still available to him, end quote. Yeah. Oh, were they going for the death penalty? Exactly. Okay. Oregon, Washington had the death penalty still. Yes. Okay. So Dodd initially pled not guilty to the charges, but later, against the advice of his attorney, did change his plea to guilty. And in 1990, he was sentenced to death for the murder of the Near Brothers, as well as for the separate rape and murder of Lee Azeli. Dodd insisted that hanging was the appropriate means of execution and that he did not want to delay any of his appeals. He was quoted as saying, I must be executed before I have the opportunity to escape or kill someone within the prison. If I do escape, I promise you I will kill and rape and enjoy every minute of it, end quote. Good Lord. All right, yes, fine. I'd like to execute him, but this is like, what, 1990? And they want to, he wants to be hung? Correct, which was still an option. It's still an option, but I'm going to say... If you're going to get put to death, probably do the one that they use more regularly than the fucking gallows. But anyway. Another part of this is that he selected this method. And I'll get to that in a, in a little bit. But He shouldn't get to choose how he goes out of this world. I guess you can in some places, though. Because I've heard about this. There's a guy in Utah that did the same thing. And he was like, if you're going to kill me, you have to hang me. And you have to get all the apparatus out again. Like, it's still in the books. You have to do this. I feel like I'd be like, yeah, okay. All right. And then just walk him down the hallway and, like, do the injection instead anyways. It's just, like, one last chance for them to be an asshole. Exactly. So don't give it to him. <laughs> it's my, <laughs> my point. Yeah. I guess it's legal. Yeah. I don't know. So now we're going to move to the Washington State Penitentiary in Walla Walla. In Walla Walla? Yep. That's where I used to live. She's I don't so know why I'm so happy, but. <laughs> You've got to be indicted to be invited. <laughs> <laughs> and as a side note, I have actually been inside the Washington State Penitentiary Ooh. as a visitor. I was like, unindicted? You were invited? As an unindicted <laughs> visitor, 
Um, <laughs> but that is a story for another time. We'll look forward to it. Okay, leave us hanging then. So death penalty cases can often be long and drawn out due to the amount of appeals that are included in the process. However, Dodd did opt to waive all of his appeals, and he even wrote letters to the Washington State Supreme Court advocating for his own death. And during his incarceration, Dodd wrote a nine-page pamphlet called When You Meet a Stranger to educate children on how to avoid monsters like him. It had four sections. The first was run, the second was scream, the third was yell, and the fourth was be a hero. I have a lot of questions here. Uh, That doesn't sound like nine pages. Also, what's the difference between scream and yell? (sighs) I don't know. I didn't want to read it. It was a handwritten pamphlet. Ew. Didn't you have to read his handwriting? God, that's even worse somehow. That's even worse. Okay, for this guy who has been striving his whole life to get a rise out of those around him and, like, was, you know, denied any attention at all, this is another way for him to perpetuate his attention. That is true. Like, yeah, he wants the attention. I mean, I guess maybe he would know how to best avoid a... I don't like it. Mm-mm. I didn't like it either. I didn't dive too deep into that area because I really just didn't want to know, honestly. Yeah, there's no need to read that. So let's move on to the execution. Woo! Yes. <laughs> Cheers, Cheers to that one. Finally. Cheers. Some good news. Uh, Dodd's execution was laced in controversy, though, over the method of hanging. The American Civil Liberties Union, or the ACLU, filed a lawsuit saying that execution by hanging was a violation of Dodd's Eighth Amendment rights, and the lawsuit was heard by the Washington State Supreme Court. Thankfully, it was unsuccessful. So on the day of his execution, a lot of people and news outlets gathered at the jail, both supporters and protesters for the death penalty. Dodd was executed on January 5th of 1993 at 12.05 by hanging. At the Walla Walla Pen. At the Walla Walla State Penitentiary. Yes. Okay, that's bonkers. Wow. His last words were, quote, I was once asked by somebody, I don't remember who, if there was any way sex offenders could be stopped. I said no. I was wrong. End quote. Death is the only thing they can be stopped. Correct. I feel like that's kind of true, though. I mean, that's that compulsion. You can't, yeah. Like, I don't know. I do feel like part of it, I'm kind of surprised he had no sexual abuse as a child. I was shocked that he didn't. We also might not know. It might not be from somebody that is in his direct family. And it also, like we were talking about earlier, could have been before his memory forming years that affected him in that way. It could have been somebody in his neighborhood or, you know, another adult in his family that nobody was aware of. That too, yeah. Or he just didn't admit to it. You're not insane as a pedophile. Like, by any means, you know what you're doing is wrong. Yeah. He knew. I mean, he advocated for his own death, and he was very honest about the fact that he would keep doing this if given the opportunity. So for Hannah. Hi. Hi. I've got the last meal for you. Yes, I love last meals. Wesley Allen Dodd had broiled salmon and fried potatoes. That sounds delicious. Yeah. It does, actually. Like, now I want some salmon. (laughs) I do enjoy salmon. I think I prefer it raw, though. (laughs) 
Well, I'll just say, like, I grew up in Fresno, so every Christmas my dad would barbecue for Christmas because it wasn't cold. Yeah. So we'd have salmon for, like, barbecued salmon mm-hmm. for Christmas. That's awesome. Delicious. Okay, not a bad choice. Not insane. <laughs> not a bad choice. Okay. So now for my attempt at the astrological overview. Oh, wait, so the hanging went as planned. Oh, yes, yes. He He's dead. Okay. Dead. It, not in any, like, spectacular way. He just died. His head didn't pop off. No, his head did not pop off. I did read that it Fine. that it took approximately two minutes for him to pass. That does feel about right, though, because it is a strangulation still. Sometimes it breaks your neck. Yeah, sometimes it can. But if the rope's too short, then you just kind of sit there and strangle for, like, 15 to 30 minutes. Two minutes? What do I fucking know? I've never been hung. <laughs> so astrological overview and again i am the least experienced with astrological stuff and that's okay we're all still learning yeah we're all definitely still learning i honestly have no fucking clue how to interpret these and when i was reading through his stuff so much of it is like positive like oh these are your good attributes and yay look out for this i can't apply any nice things to Don for obvious reasons. No, he's a monster. Yeah. I think that's that's sometimes the fault too of these astrology things is that they're they're assuming that you are the person who put in the birth time and place and so they're like, let's not piss this person off. Um We're not gonna tell you like you are a complete asshole, which they probably should have on mine, but I still got some nice things. Let's say nice things to you. But sometimes you can take like the undertones of like you can be highly emotional and like take that with what this means for this person kind of thing. But And that's kind of how I approach this. And I, I couldn't find his birth time. So it's so hard. Some of these may be a little bit off. I don't really know what I'm doing, but this is what I've got. Okay. Buckled in. Here we go. The sun, which is your kind of your dominant personality ego, right? Mm-hmm. His sun is in cancer, which I read that they can often be quite reserved. Okay. Manipulative. And this one is gross, but intrigued by objects that have a history attached, such as souvenirs. Oh, mementos. Correct. Ooh, he, he did like a souvenir. And, like, cancers are pretty in tune with their emotions, but they can also kind of read the emotions of others, which would... Okay. And that could lead to the manipulation, yeah. Yeah, it could give them the ability to manipulate. I think it's probably easier to manipulate a child. That's interesting that that was included. Yeah, the fact that he collect all this stuff is very... I mean, almost all of them do, I guess, to relive it, but it's so dumb. Yeah, I, I read that and I was like, huh, huh. Well, there, there you go. Yep. So the next is um, I did his moon, which is kind of your inner self. Um, his moon is in Pisces. And what I read about this was that you people that have their moon in Pisces can sometimes have an unhealthy imagination. <laughs> I'm going to say this guy is water as fuck. He's very watery. Oh, he is full of emotions that probably he didn't get like noticed during his childhood so he grew up with very unhealthy coping mechanisms still his fault correct um next i did uh mercury which is the communication language 
and his Mercury is in Cancer, or was in Cancer. Motherfucker, this guy is just water. And the information I found out about this is that they have a tendency to put everything down in writing. Well, oh yeah, because Mercury is communication, and so the way that maybe Cancers like to communicate more than... um. Other signs is less verbally and more like writing things down. That kind of, that kind of makes sense, to be honest. It's also horrific. Right? <laughs> but it was helpful in this case because without that evidence, I mean, he did confess, but then, you know, sometimes you hear about people who do false confessions and stuff like that. But then he's got this diary in which he wrote everything down and it's got the details that is the evidence that, you know, the police need to be able to put him to death. And he saved other physical evidence as well. Like he was a collector, kind of. Yeah. Mm. All right. Answers are bad at murdering is what we're learning. I think so. Okay. They're too, they're, they just need to get those feelings out. Go to therapy, everybody. I recommend it. Highly. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. I read um, just really quick to a a sentence, basically, that lunar Pisces, so his moons in Pisces, sometimes will have fantasies that totally envelop or encompass their well-being. And they're they're so far-stretching into the brain sometimes that, like, you can't escape that fantasy world and that's one of the the faults that can that can occur if you have an unhealthy mentality towards towards that that's interesting that's really interesting because i've really only looked at astrology more in the view of relationships but pisces can also transmit too much onto a relationship and think it's something when it really is not also scorpio and venus can do that please help me uh but uh they are dreamers. <laughs> Pisces are dreamers. So if you're if you're so stuck in your fantasy that you can't escape the dream, then it can turn into a nightmare. Yeah, and like I feel like his, I do feel like his probably entire life was kind of a nightmare. But yeah, I would agree. Whether it was imagined or you know partially imagined, partially real, I think he definitely felt in his family he was getting the short end of the stick, and maybe that led to some of some of this. But it really brings up nature versus nurture, though. Yeah, like, but it's weird to think that that could just be someone's nature, but we know that it is. Like other pedophiles have said the same thing that like I like if you let me out, I probably couldn't restrain myself. Correct. Forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I mean, you think too, had just one thing been different, right? Had he grown up in a, in a loving home with parents that were, you know, attentive and really focused on, on him as well as his other siblings, like... And had tried to nip it in the bud. Correct. When it first occurred. Yeah, because they gave him like carte blanche and they were yeah, like, like, his dad did for sure. He's like... You're well behaved because you're not drinking. Right. Please keep showing your penis to other people. That's fine. Yeah. I just, I feel like maybe if they had realized the severity of his issues, that if they had sought some sort of counseling for him at that younger age, that maybe it would be different. But again, this is, you know, the late 70s, early 80s. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure, because now I think we look at peeping toms and people that expose themselves as, we can see that as a first step for a potential to do more offensive things, but I'm not sure. It, it's a personality disorder, yeah. It's something that people are 
tuned into. I'm not sure what they thought in the 70s, though. There's, like, boys being boys in a gross, gross, gross way. Yeah, barf. Yeah, barf. This episode on a big old barf. (laughs) So I mentioned earlier that my mom Mm. had a face-to-face altercation with Dodd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. I did decide that I cannot replicate or do justice to her story. So she has graciously provided her account firsthand. But before I play that audio for you, I would like to first give a shout out to my mom. Hi, mom. (laughs) And second, I would like you to know some things about her. So she is not your typical milk and cookies kind of mom. She's a badass. (laughs) Yeah. She is a welder by trade. That's bonkers. Exactly. She spent a large amount of her career in the shipyards. Jesus. So one could say that is where I obtained my sailor mouth. <laughs> okay, but I don't know where mine came from, but you have you have a real <laughs> you have a real excuse. Yeah, you seem subdued <laughs> compared to Hannah sometimes. <laughs> And I do have a a short, funny story about my mom's sailor mouth. So we used to live in this house that had concrete floors and just the carpet was over top of it. So it was, it was cold. So my mom would make me wear my slippers, but I didn't always want to wear my slippers, but she didn't want me catching a cold. So the deal was if I didn't wear my slippers, I had to give her a dollar. But if she swore, she had to give me a quarter. (laughs) There was a day that she got onto the phone with a friend that she hadn't talked to in several years. And I sat next to her with my little notebook. Oh my God. Tallied $101.75 of cuss words. Amazing. Okay, your mom puts me to shame, I think. But the last thing I'd like you guys to know about my mom is that she does not take shit from She can't. She was a welder in a fucking shipyard. (laughs) The audio is about a little over three minutes long, but here is Pearl's story. What brought it to my attention was we had a little black and white TV sitting on the kitchen counter, and I'd watch the evening news when I was prepping food for dinner after I got home from work. And on the evening news, this Wesley Allen died. They brought him in in orange overalls county jail and you know how they have them in their overalls and handcuffed their arraignment brought him in for an arraignment hearing and i told your dad i said steven i know him and he goes oh pearl really you watch america's most wanted but no i know him that's a guy that works up there at the gas station anymore up there off of uh, across from sears where i i go in there i park at sears dark outside early in the morning you know when you're going to work at five in the morning it's dark in the winter time and my carpool guys said hey park your car walk across the street where there's people and it'll be safer and i said oh okay and then they come around the corner and pull into the gas station mini mart and i'd run out the door and jump in the car and go to work anyway this one particular morning i was um, inside and i talked to the guy that worked at the cash register on third shift Nice young man. I talked to him. and But this dog guy, I didn't like him. I didn't know why I didn't like him. But now I know it's just natural instincts. When somebody sends shivers down your back and your gut says something ain't right with that person, you got to listen to it. Because there's a reason why 
God gave you natural instincts. But I never liked this guy from the get-go. I didn't talk to him. And like most people, if I don't like you, I'm not talking to you. So I'd pay for my coffee, my donut, and I'd go stand over by the door. And there was a set of double doors. And this one particular morning, there was nobody pumping gas. It was raining outside. And I'm standing next to the door in the newspaper rack. The Seattle Times was there. And it was just off to one side of the door. And I looked down as I'm drinking my coffee. And uh, I started reading the headlines. And that was when um, there was two little boys that had been murdered. And they just found their bodies down in Vancouver, Washington. And I'm reading the article to myself. But there's nobody else in the store except for me and Wesley Allen Dodd. And he's at the cash register. And evidently, I said, wow, took a sick son of a bitch to do that. And I was referring to the article. Well, I didn't know I was referring to him, because I didn't know at the time it was Wesleyan Allen Dodd behind the cash register. And he got all irate. He started screaming and cussing at me and telling me to go outside. So I said, well, I don't know what your problem is, but my carpool guys just pulled up, so I will leave. But you're fucking nuts. So I walked out, got in the car, and went to work, told the guys, yeah, he's kind of strange. And then the next day, I told the, the guy that worked third shift, he said, yeah, he is kind of an odd fellow. I said, yeah, I don't know why. Just out of the blue, he started screaming and cussing at me and told me to go outside. Well, then I realized when they brought him in for his arraignment hearing that uh, I was referring to him when I said it took a six son of a bitch to do that to them two little boys. And I didn't realize I had I was thinking it. I didn't realize it said it out loud until after I seen him on that, the evening news being arraigned. Yes. You could listen to my mom talk for <laughs> hours. And she's such a good storyteller. And at some point, I'm sure she will want to be a guest to talk about true crime because she also loves true crime. And she is probably the reason why I'm so interested in true crime. So I would like to add that when I talked to my mom about this recently, she said, and I quote, if I had only known, I would have killed that son of a bitch myself. And I have no doubt that that is true. But I am so thankful that she didn't know and that I don't have to visit her in Walla Walla. Uh, yep. And as a separate side note, Wesley Allen Dodd's younger brother, Gregory. The favorite? Well, both Gregory and Kathy were mm. favored, or at least in his mind were favored. Yeah, I guess who actually knows what happened because he Correct. was telling the story. So his younger brother, Gregory, was arrested in 2006 for an attempted sexual abuse of a 13-year-old girl. Oh, no. This is leaning towards nature. Or the same family member got both siblings before their formative years. Okay, yeah, then nurture. And he got both boys. The interesting part of this case was that the 13-year-old girl was not actually a 13 year old girl it was a police officer who was doing a child yeah it was like a sting that they had set up so he did get caught in the sting and was sentenced to jail time i didn't read too much more into it so there is something to be said for the nurture nature is there something else going on in that family that maybe did not get disclosed that is so interesting so, like, I'm wondering if, I mean, did, did Gregory have other priors and then they were like, we're going to do a sting? Or was it just 
huh, this person is related to this monster. We should check it out. Or he just fell into the sting and he was trying to message oh, some 13-year-old yeah. girl Correct. Or it was an, kind of an online oh, I see. sting. So the police officer was pretending to be this 13-year-old girl and, you know, kind of basically waiting for people to connect with her or this, I don't know if the police officer was a male or female. And they had people who tried to connect with her and it just happened that uh, Greg... Probably a lot. Yeah, unfortunately. <sighs> so other than that, I did a little bit of research about the sex offender registration programs because I I was really appalled that there wasn't some better connection by the police departments on his crimes. So it turns out that in 1994, you know, four years after he was arrested, the Wettering Act. Oh, Jacob Wettering. Ooh, we should cover him, maybe. Potentially, I didn't really look into into the crime because yeah. I, I was pretty much done with child offenses at this point. Actually, yeah, it's another child crime, so we should maybe push that out for a while. So, in 1994, the Jacob Wettering Act, or the Jacob Wettering Crimes Against Children and Sexually Violent Offender Registration Act in the United States required required all states to implement a sex offender and crimes against children registry. So, that just happened in 1994? Yikes. Correct. Okay. Wettering, uh, Wetterling Act required state compliance by September 1997 with a two-year extension for good faith efforts to achieve compliance and non-compliance would result in a 10% reduction of federal block grant funds for criminal justice programs. And in 1996, on May 3rd, the National Sex Offender Database was signed into law by President Bill Clinton. Okay. For Washington State specifically, where these crimes occurred, the Washington State RCW, the Community Protection Act of 1990 was put into place, which kind of started the sex offender registration for the state of Washington. Good. Which I'm thankful as a parent that people acknowledged that this was a la- there was a lapse in this type of information, and uh, there are many different websites you can visit to track a sex offender or track sex offenders in your neighborhood. In your neighborhood, yeah. And just be more aware of your surroundings or if you have children, like I do, to be more aware of the people that are in your neighborhood. And help educate them too um, about how to avoid situations like that. Like, not just trust every adult that, just because they're an adult. Just because they're an adult, they're an authority. Exactly. Adults don't and need directions. <laughs> Sorry for the yeah, clapping. Yeah, right, they have fucking Google Maps now, so let them use their phone. <laughs> right? And you you don't need to look at their puppy. You don't need candy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll buy and, you candy. Yep. Exactly. Imaginary child, <laughs> which makes me sound like uh, kind of gross, but... <laughs> Like get into my van. No, no, do not. I don't have a van. I do not have a van. Okay, so that concludes my story of the Vancouver child killer. Again, I apologize. This is an atrocious case with an atrocious monster. But if you remember Pearl's advice, trust your instincts. That is actually really good advice. 
I don't want to be like fear mongering, but like your gut knows. Yeah. And you should listen to it. Your gut is smart. Like when those hairs start standing up on the back of your neck, your, you know, tummy starts to feel like there's, you know, something not quite right. Like pay attention. Be aware of that. And I'm borrowing from my favorite murder right now, but like be rude. Yeah. Fuck politeness, right? Be (laughs) rude. I know we were trained as women to be more compliant. Just don't but be. If you're... Be disagreeable. No. It's okay. Be an asshole. Yeah. Be an asshole. It's okay. Be an asshole. Save your life. I will add that we could coin the phrase "be pearl," ooh, which is my mom's name. The pearl about anything. <laughs> She's a very smart lady. Okay. Well, thank you, Meredith. That was a lot. <laughs> I know. But like, I'm glad you told it. And I'm glad, I mean, I feel like I've never heard of him before. I listen to a lot of true crime. So I I do like that maybe we're bringing lesser knowns every once in a while to the podcast as well. Mm -hmm. And that we are starting with more of a personal bent to our podcast. But it is a true crime podcast. It's going to be a bummer a lot of the time. Should we go into our astrology coming up? Yes. I think we should. All right. So I just combined a few different little things here. So... May 8th is when Venus enters Gemini for us. Venus is, in this case, a planet, but it's also known as the goddess of love. And love and money is actually kind of just a really simplistic interpretation of what Venus is for us. But um, Venus, as the planet in our charts, rules what our sentiments are, what we value, the types of pleasures that we enjoy in life. And so things like grace and beauty and charms are all ruled by this planet. Um, and through, through Venus, we can learn about, you know, what our tastes and our preferences are, what kinds of things that we enjoy doing and seeing, maybe artistic inclinations, and just overall what kind of brings us joy. So Gemini, when Venus enters Gemini, this means some pretty specific things. Appropriately symbolized by the celestial twins, the air sign Gemini is was said to be so interested in so many pursuits that it had to clone itself. And so that's why there's, <laughs> that's, there's two of them, right? That's great. I love that. True that. As, As a Gemini, Meredith <laughs> saying true that. They're known for being chatty, witty, playful, and overall just in- intellectually curious. Hi, Meredith. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> being pulled in many different directions is really natural for the twins. Yes, it is. <laughs> So when Venus enters Gemini, during this transit stage, it means that we have, it means a lot for how we choose to spend our social and romantic time. So because curiosity kind of motivates Gemini natives on romantic and social levels, sometimes like variety is the spice of life can be the mantra, that kind of thing. You want to be pulled in a lot of different directions because you enjoy that. When Venus is in Gemini, we can all be more sociable and communicative and interested in a lot of different subjects too. This might mean that it's more easy to have fun and attract and connect with other people, but this is going to be more on like a mental connection than an emotional connection. I kind of see that happening though because getting vaccinated has changed my entire fucking life. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so like we could social flies yep. once in a while. Yeah. Safely, yes. Safely. <laughs> feel, safely feel a little bit Do more normal about it, yeah. Yeah. That's that's definitely a plus side of all of this. So one of the the maybe like downsides to some of the the Gemini worry is that Gemini can be kind of fickle. What? Um, but as long as you, well, that's so it's well, it's you're kind of two like, faced, right? So there, there's there's two sides to it in that you know you can be chatty and very you know intellectually driven in that way, but you can sometimes lose sight of the emotional part of that too, unless you have other things grounding you. So. 
and not necessarily for Gemini people, but when Venus is in Gemini, that can be a problem. So if your Venus is in Gemini or while Venus is actually in well, Gemini. our Venus is in Gemini. During this entire month. <laughs> This can lead to an increase in all of our intellects and mental connectivity and communications and things like that with with other people and just having all sorts of fun and, you know, having that sort of like sharp and wit and drive to uh, pursue a lot of different facets of life. But you might actually find yourself becoming a little bit emotionally distant to the people that you're normally emotionally close to because of that. And so... Goodbye, Sarah. (laughs) This might be... No! This might be a good time to kind of like clue in on that a little bit more. And like, this is an opportunity for you to say, okay, this might happen. So let me go the opposite direction. And I'm going to put some more effort into more emotionally bonding kind of activities with people that I care about to make sure that that doesn't fall by the wayside. Hopefully you all have fun and you can enjoy this time when, you know, you might be feeling more sociable and witty about, you know, things here and there and conversations and stuff. But don't don't forget things to keep... Things are looking kind of positive. Oh, yeah. Don't forget to keep that, that other flame alive, too. <laughs> yeah. All right. I will take that to the bank. Call me in June and we'll see how that went for me. <laughs> <laughs> so if you love this podcast as much as we did, please rate us, leave a review, and definitely tell your friends. We would love to hear from you, so please reach out. You can connect with us on Twitter at True Trine, on Instagram at True Crime Trine, on Facebook at TCT Podcast, or you can email us directly at truecrimetrine at gmail.com. As D.H. Lawrence has said, it's okay and fun to flirt with the Zodiac. Unless it's the Zodiac Killer. Boom. Music for our podcast was handcrafted by the talented and creative minds of Mike Warren and Pete Ortega. Our artwork was imagined and skillfully designed by the lovely Sarah Guest. As for production, well, they call me post-production. Show notes are available upon request. Just email truecrimetrine at gmail.com. Join us again next week for another tantalizing episode.